Today's show is brought to you by Grammarly, an intelligent writing app. Download Grammarly's browser extension and create a free Grammarly account at www.getgrammarly.com forward slash. All right, everybody. Welcome to the 186th edition of the Holy Backboard podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man. This is Sage kicking it live in uh, Beaverton, Oregon. Um, I forgot to hit play the first time, so we're starting over. Uh, we got about three minutes into the podcast, and I re- realized that button's supposed to be red, not white. Shit. But here we are. Um, so, yeah. 2020, uh, New Year, same sage. Is is that what I'm uh, to assume? Yeah, I, I, I played 2K on New Year's, New Year's Eve pretty damn rough, man. Uh, just trying to gain those rep levels. And then I spent New Year's Day with uh, the Ripped Woody uh, fam. And that was cool. At least, you know, at least one of those two days I spent with people and it was fun. But uh, what's up with uh, how was your New Year's? New Year's Eve was was pretty good. It was a downpour. But uh, Olga and I went out to uh, Bamboo, got some sushi, uh, kind of went ham just because it's it's delicious. And also, you know, why not? It's a celebration. It went back back home kind of celebrated uh low-key and then new year's day was just like hunkering down watch the ducks win a huge stressful <laughs> and i repeat stressful rose bowl game and had the blazer game on and, and flipped to the blazer game and uh that wasn't as uh fulfilling so i just kind of uh rested on what joys the, the ducks gave me uh, on that day but it's it's been a good personal year so far um there are a couple of things worldwide that have have stressed me out uh, as well as i'm sure a lot of our listeners are, are aware of so 2020 not off to the best of starts for our trailblazer sage uh we did not record when we recorded last we did not preview the miami heat game but to ensure our predictions were in line with the team playing, I texted you and we both thought that we would take the L in, in South Beach tonight. And that's what happened. And it just, it just has not been a great start for the Trailblazers in 2020 who were kind of looking to revitalize their season. Unfortunately, they are at the same place that they were when they brought in Carmelo Anthony. We are sitting at 15 and 22, seven games below 500. We were uh, five and 12, seven games below 500 before Melo joined us in New Orleans back in, in November. So they have played 500 basketball, but the same areas of concern keep rearing their heads. The Blazers still can't beat a team above 500. Their perimeter defense is still excruciatingly bad and they do not trust each other on offense. So the same things we've saw prior to Mello have really followed them 20 games into Mello's tenure as a blazer. And this is not um, a knock on Carmelo. It's just more of using Carmelo as a, a timestamp of when things, I wouldn't say got better or worse, but just as a, a differentiator between, okay, it's almost like, you know, AD or BC. It's like, okay, 
BM and AM, before Mellow and after Mellow, uh, it was supposed to give Portland a, a nice jolt, and it did, but unfortunately the injuries continue to pile up. We still do not know the status on Scalabissier, but to quickly recap what the Blazers did this week, they ended 2019 with a home loss against the Phoenix Suns, losing 122-116. to uh, In the process, they blew a 19-point third quarter lead, which was just a gut punch. They then lost on New Year's Day to the hapless New York Knicks, 117-93, a game that just got completely out of hand in the second half. Uh, defeated a team that may be even more injury-riddled than themselves in the Washington Wizards, 122-103. to uh, A game that probably we should be a little bit more happier about, considering the Wizards previously beat the Miami Heat. And followed that up with a 14-point victory over the Denver Nuggets. So good good on the Blazers for taking care of business there. But unfortunately, the winning streak was short-lived as they fell victim to the red-hot Miami Heat, who really always had an answer to every time the Blazers made a run. They defeated the Blazers 122-111 to in a game that probably wasn't as close as that score indicated. Uh, yeah, like... Like I said, Goran Dragic was was a monster. They even were without Jimmy Butler, Portland without CJ McCollum, and the obvious cast of characters who have been previously absent from the roster. But the, the Heat are 16-1 and at home before this game, losing only to the Lakers in a, a close contest. So you had to know the Blazers' chances of getting a victory here were, were slim to none. Sage, I, I kind of want to kick off the podcast by, by talking about why are the Blazers still trying to make 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 this season happen? Um, as I mentioned, we are no better off now than we were when we brought in Carmelo Anthony. The injuries continue to pile up. We still can't beat teams above 500, yet we're out here playing Damian Lillard 42 minutes. He only got a second half rest with a minute 30 left in the clock in the fourth quarter. He is 29 years old. He is third in the league in minutes per game at 36.7. CJ is fifth at 36.5. Uh, last year, just for comparison, Dame was sixth, 35 and a half. CJ was 25th, 33.9. So Dame's playing about a minute more. CJ's playing almost three minutes more per game. I, I just don't, I know the bodies are low, but we're not winning with them playing these 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 big minutes. So what what are we doing here, Sage? It, to me, it just feels extremely reckless. And when I watch the games, I get more frustrated at the coaching staff and, and ownership and management than I am at the actual play on the game because I feel like we're doing to Dame what Tom Thibodeau did to the, the mid mid twenty ten Bulls. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we are we're playing we're playing those guys. Tibbs and Nick Nurse minutes. I mean, like, I remember texting you a few days ago saying Kyle Lowry needed 43 minutes to beat, you know, some some team. Like, we're playing Dame those amount of minutes and losing. Um, I, I don't think a change will happen until everybody from the top down realizes that it's a uh, it's kind of a lost season. I think there's still hope and, you know, they're still pushing, trying to get to the playoffs. So until that narrative is kind of dampened, I think that we're going to see large minutes from our main guys. Who do you think is driving? Who do you think is is driving that 
that narrative that the season isn't over. It's not a lost cause. We need to try to win at all costs. Do you think, obviously we have no inside information, so we're just kind of going off of our, our instinct and what we think could possibly be, be causing this. But Sage, I want to ask you, who do you think is driving this, this conversation? Is, is it Terry and the coaches? Is it Neil and his staff? Is it all the way up to Jody Allen? Or is it, frankly, Damian Lillard saying, hey, I know we have like 10 healthy bodies. You better not be taking me out of this game. And it basically comes down to player versus organization. I think it has to stop from the start from the top of we're trying to still win this. And I, I from what we know, Jody Allen's kind of a hands-off owner. So it, I, I, it must be uh, uh, Neil O'Shea. Because he's the top basketball guy on the on the Blazers, so I would assume that he's still saying, "Look, we we still have a chance. Let's let's let it ride." And you know that that type of thinking can be kind of damaging when you look long term at it. But if if he has to look short term for some reason, I mean, it kind of explains why we're we're playing like this or playing our guys this amount of minutes yeah to me it feels like we missed our chance to say we still have a chance in december when we went six and eight when we had 10 of our 14 games at home we have 15 games in january eight of those are on the road we're in the midst of a five game trip right now and then we have another three three game trip in the middle of the month against houston dallas and okc and we also have home games this month against houston dallas in Milwaukee. Uh, I've looked at the schedule. It doesn't look favorable. So to me, I think this month is where we're really going to find out just how stubborn the, the franchise is because, you know, we've always said, oh, we've got time. We've got time. You know, there's 55 games left. Okay, now there's 50. Well, now there's 45 games left and, and you're coming up on the halfway mark of the season. And there was a point in time during the season where where I was like, okay, yes, there is time. We could we could maybe catch the Jazz for sixth. Okay, well, we dropped that game the day after Christmas, and it kind of seems like that one's getting out of our reach as Utah has won nine of their last ten and is now ten games above us in the loss column. Okay, then we can maybe be seventh. Well, OKC is handling business right now. They've also won nine of ten, and they are now seven games above us in the loss column. So now the eighth seed is the only seed that is realistically available. When you're looking at a Blazer team that they're they're not doing their job at home, they're sub 500, eight and nine, and they can't beat teams above 500. So that really negates any chance of stringing together a good sized winning streak. So you're looking at the eighth seed, and the Lakers have a four-game jump on both Denver and Houston. I'm, I'm, I don't foresee that changing, you know, barring injury. So the, the best case scenario right now for this Blazer team is Blazers-Lakers 1-8, where to me, Sage, that just looks like we're setting ourselves up to go get slaughtered. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, the Lakers are the team that gives us the most trouble because of how much beef they have, like. Mellow versus AD hasn't worked tw- two times. I mean, JaVale and Dwight happen to get good games against us. LeBron's a horse. Who's going to guard him? It just seems like kind of each win has a diminishing return when you think of the position that we're going to ultimately be in. If we get to the playoffs, it's going to be an ass-kicking where, you know, 
having a lottery pick gives us some options for what we want to do, and there's always that chance. I, I'm prepared to play to see Dame and CJ play extended minutes until somebody from the Blazers organization or there's a big change in how we play happens. I just expect for us to see Dame and CJ play extended minutes. Yeah, and I think that's what irritates me the most about the season. It's not the injuries. You, you you have no control over the injuries. It's not the last second losses. Statistics have shown us that that over seasons, those types of things tend to even out. I think we're just on the wrong end of, of that stick this year. And it, it's not the fact that we haven't been able to protect home court. I think that that can be tied to to the injuries. What really irritates me is I, I truly believe that we are taking years off of Dame and, and CJ that we just can't get back. I, I feel like we're looking, you know, even though Neil Olshea said he's not going to make a trade that sacrifices long-term flexibility, I feel like what we're doing now is sacrificing our long-term flexibility because everything rides on the shoulders of Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. They are both inked to th- this organization for, I-, I believe, the foreseeable future, at least five more years. Those are your two horses. You know, this is this is a marathon, Sage. This is not a one-year sprint. I don't want our guys tiring out just as they're getting on that last lap. And it feels like that's what we're doing right now. You watch Dame. He, he is putting everything out there, and his cast isn't what it should be. And it's to me, it just looks like it's all for naught. And he's too prideful and he's too much of a competitor to ever say, take me out or cut my minutes. So I'm I'm looking for the person in the organization that is going to say, okay, we need to put a halt to this. We're not going to outright tank Dame and CJ. You're still going to play, but can we get it closer to 30 minutes? And if that means we need to bring in another player, we do have two roster spots open. You know, just as another ball handler, just just to make it so we are competitive, like we aren't getting blown out aside from a few handful of games, which which is quite refreshing, to be honest. But what we're doing now feels like it's going to have long term ramifications that we're going to look back and say, why in the fuck were we doing that? Like, it seems to me like like that's what it is right now. But nobody is opening their eyes and making that call. And with Jody Allen being a new owner and what you said, a hands-off owner, who is it going to be? Is it going to be Neil or is it going to be Terry? Who's going to get their way? Because to me, coaches always coach for their job. You know, Terry is going to coach to win as he should, but I feel like that staff is, is they're getting reckless with it. And, and I think it is going to have to be Neil coming in and saying, hey, we need to to make this right. And maybe Neil is also on that train of we can win now. I mean, that's the downside of not being in that room, being a fly on the wall. We can only speculate. We don't know who's, I don't want to say to blame because I think that's that's tough to say, but but who's calling the shots? We just don't know. Um, it, it's just unfortunate that the season has come to where it is, but I just don't want to see the season take anything else from us that it already has that we have some control over and that is monitoring minutes i mean there's still a chance that we get that eight seed so i i get why neil and terry both feel like they could compete Uh, i mean if you're coaching or gming or playing at that level you have to be extraordinarily competitive 
So I think it's just their competition. That level of competition is just, oh, we still have a chance. So let's take this chance and see what we can do with it. Rather than, you know, you and I don't work for the team and we're just observing. We can see things that people that are just so closed in, like they have their horse blinders on, don't see. Just because they're in it. They're in that that meeting room discussing, you know, how to make it to the playoffs. And I think you're right. I think this Blazer team needs a fresh pair of eyes. I think they need some perspective. You know, anytime you're on a project, you are so in deep on it that you may have missed something that you're just not seeing because you're, you're, you're blinded by it. Like you said, the horse blinder. So you need somebody to come in. And I, I know that there's not a role of consultant that says, here's how you should run your franchise. But to me, this is starting to feel it went from the 09-010 Blazers with, with all of those injuries to, okay, this is now the 2017 Blazers where we just aren't performing at the level that we need to be at. You know, at one point, right after they got Yusuf Nurkic that year, they were 24 and 35, you know, 11 games under 500, and they, they ended the year 41 and 41. Well, what good did that get us, Sage? That got us a first-round ass-kicking at the hands of the future NBA champion Golden State Warriors. Sage, personally, I don't want to have to watch us get swept by the Lakers. I don't want to see the, the Rose Garden get fluttered or flooded with, with purple and gold. I I don't want to spend money on playoff tickets. I don't want to... to have to even deal with that. And, and as we discussed on, on last week's episode, I think another sweat, another um, playoff exit in, in the manner of a sweep would do more harm than not making the playoffs at all. Like for Damien's legacy, for the Terry Stotts era, that legacy, there have just been one too many, you know, sweeps. And another one would, I think, diminish an era that really has been strong and it's unfair, but the media will point to these certain things and use that against you. Just as the case of, you know, when people are arguing LeBron and MJ and they want to talk about performances in the finals, LeBron's had a couple where he's had one hand tied behind his back, but the result stands and those you know, the, the facts are what they are. I, I just don't want to see this team have to go through uh, another tough playoff performance because I think it could linger in into the regular season next year. Now, if you just don't make the playoffs, I think you maybe get a little bit more of that that taste. Like, why are we not in here? I, I wish we were back. I You know, that hunger gets back in you and you're a little bit more juiced, a little bit more motivated to make an impact with a fully healthy roster next year. So... It's not that I want to see this team lose. I just think that it's in the best interest of them right now. And it's it's really hard to say, but there have been so many moments throughout this year where it just feels like that's what the season is telling us. And I've kind of tried to keep, turn a blind eye to it. But even when we were winning, Sage, we, we were barely beating the Minnesota Timberwolves without Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, we barely beat the Phoenix Suns on the road. Uh, we struggled against the Sacramento Kings without De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley. Like we just, our blowouts were so few and far between that when we got him, it was like, whoa, what is this? Like, where, where has this been all year? It just seems like 
this year has had so many head-scratching moments from the first one against the Warriors where they were essentially a G League team to blowing a 19-point lead against the Phoenix Suns. Like, I, I, I don't know what to do there. And this this season with all the injuries, it's just telling us it's not meant to happen. And I just feel like we need to kind of accept that and plan for, for next year. And I think that's what, what the Warriors are are doing. And, you know, they're going to get, frankly, rewarded for that. Mm. I think when you – I think when we we say plan for next year, it's throwing the towel for this year. And I think that – no – we're just we just want our players to play reasonable minutes rather than we're tanking and sitting everybody. I think I think there's a difference that uh uh it's kinda hard for people to understand. I I don't think we're gonna take Damon and CJ out. I just think we're gonna play them less and losses are less devastating than uh than in previous years. Cause tank I mean we're not tanking, we're just losing. I don't think we're actively trying to lose. I just think we happen to lose. No, and I don't think we should actively try to lose either. I, I think there's there's a fine line between realizing what this season is and what it isn't. And go out, play Dame, play CJ. They're competitors. People pay to see them play. But at the same time, we this season, as awful as it is, it does present itself an, an opportunity. And the opportunity is... Can you start developing your your young players? For for me, I want to see what we have out of Anthony Simons, Gary Trent Jr., and in Nasir Little. But it's tough when we aren't taking that advantage. And Anthony has been getting playing time. He had a really nice night tonight. Uh, a monster dunk, including um, let me look at this box score: eight of fifteen from the field. 19 points, four boards, four assists. One of Ant's best performances, especially late in, in that game where he kind of came alive. Dame threw a couple of lobs to him, really kind of made that game worth watching. But you go back to Nasir Little, who was racking up starts this season before Carmelo Anthony came in the fold, plays just 11 minutes in a blowout loss against the Knicks, and gets less than a minute's worth of run against the Washington Wizards, where the Blazers had that game in, in hand. Um, I realize Mario Hozonia is healthy, but I don't think no matter what Mario Hozonia shows through the, through the trade deadline, it's not going to booster his trade value anymore. I, I think his value is what it is. And there's more benefit to seeing what you can get out of Nasir Little than whatever extra trade value you can got, can get out of, of Mario Hozonia. So it just feels like the Blazers are doing everything wrong right now, and that that's that's tough to take if you're if you're a Blazer fan. I mean, remember a few weeks ago when I said we really need to look at trading Mario Hazonia immediately. I mean, him being healthy gives uh, Terry Stotts a, a a speed bump into playing Nasir Little that those extra run. I think the sooner we get rid of him to give away that option. It means more run for the guy that deserves it, who's going to be on our team for the foreseeable future, not a guy that's going to be gone in a year or two years. It's just, it's just that Mario Hazonia is that speed bump for Nasir Little, and you know he had a few athletic plays, but man, like 
he isn't part of the foundation of what the this team is going to be. He's just here as a as what Neil says a reclamation project. Well, I'd rather see what uh a what a lotto pick essentially can do cuz no we didn't expect this year to drop this far. But like, you know, he he was a gift. We have to utilize this gift or it's just being wasted for a guy that if he gets a second round, gets us a future second round pick, it's, that's cool and all. It just means more minutes for Nasir. He's kind of an addition by subtraction thing for us at this point. Yeah, it just feels like there's an opportunity to see what we have in Nasir Little. And if he helps us, great. If not, let, let's get those road bumps out of the way now. So when next year and the following year roll around, he's ready to come in and, and make an impact. It's like, it's almost like college football when you have your, your stud, you know, linebacker or D lineman and, you know, they enter early to the draft or they graduate, you know, you've got the next man up who's ready to go. The Blazers know they can't have Dame CJ Nurk forever. You know, they obviously age. You need to have the next group ready to start taking over. And that's what, why the Spurs have been so incredibly successful over the past 25 years is because they've always had essentially their own farm system. They've always had someone else waiting in the wings, ready to take over. And that's what I want to see from from this year. I, I want to see him playing with the starters, playing with a guy like Dame, who's going to draw, you know, double teams and kicking it out because when he just, yeah, when he gets garbage minutes, it's no better than him playing in summer league with a bunch of non NBA players because that's not the type of player Nasir Little is. He needs to be around four other good players and work cohesively as one. They'll get him good looks. He'll know when to cut because when he cuts, a good player is going to see that and notice that he has an opportunity to score and, and they'll get him the ball. You know, what he has done fantastically is energy, 100%. No matter when he's on the floor, he's always going to the basket. He's always diving on the floor for those loose balls but I would like to refine his role a little bit more on offense. And I think that only happens during legitimate NBA basketball. And it's unfortunate that I think he has taken a bit of a step back from where he was earlier in the year when he was getting those regular rotation minutes. And as we have seen by our record, it doesn't have any sort of impact by not playing him at all. Like because we're playing veterans, it's not leading to more wins. So I just would kind of love to see the Blazers really take off the rose colored glasses and say shit that this is this is what we are we we need to look at this objectively and make smart basketball decisions moving forward you know we're, we're looking at rumors of, of the pistons trying to trade andre drummond um and it has been said that the owner loves drummond he he hasn't been ready for a rebuild for some time even though people in the organization have been calling for it and everyone on the outside looking in and saying, Detroit, what, what are you doing? Like, you can't even compete in the Eastern Conference. Why are you still, you know, going after guys like Blake Griffin? Why are you trying to compete? But as long as you have a decision maker with their with their mind made up, that that's it. The buck stops there. So the Blazers hopefully don't end up in that same predicament because as we have seen the best organizations are really able to look at things objectively and say okay this isn't working here's here's what we're going to do instead of just blindly saying no we have a chance we have a chance we have a chance it's more like 
okay, that this is just fucked. Let's let let's move on. Let's look long term. Let's look to next year because next year I still believe we will be a very good basketball team. Circling back to our Nasir Little conversation, what would you expect for his role to be in the next year's iteration of the team? What 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 kind of things would you want from Nasir to to do for us in the, in twenty twenty one? You know, everyone kind of talks about the the three and D. I, I think he's definitely more of a small forward than what he was as a power forward where where we needed him to play early on. I look at him as someone who I would love for him to be Gerald Wallace Light. He is aggressive. He attacks. He cuts. And if he gets an open three, he's hitting it. Uh, I just we need more of those hustle players out on the floor. Because you can see the the losses in this season have really kind of taken a toll uh, on the team. They're they're not playing with their traditional spunk, and if they do, it's only in, in stretches. But you you can tell that their confidence is has has wavered, and the season's beaten them down, frankly. And I think the more players you get, like Nasir Little, who are just high energy guys all the time, I think that can help collectively pick the the team up. And I'm not saying that is really realistic for this season, but just to have guys like him on the roster going forward for full 82 games, they're, they're so meaningful. I mean, I, I just look at the Blazers of old when they had Jerome Kersey. Like you knew what you were going to get from, from Mercy every single night. He was always out there busting his ass. And, you know, if, if for whatever reason the game wasn't going their way, he would make a hustle play, get on the break, a dunk, and now all of a sudden the team's revitalized. That's what I look for in, in this year is someone to just get the team going, play with a lot of heart, hustle. And if he can refine that jump shot, it's already a pretty good stroke. If he can start to knock that down, you know, you're looking at a, a 10 plus year starter in this league and getting that player at 25 is basically a highway robbery. So does he start next year? You know, that's a really good question. I don't think it's going to be next year just because of how green he still will be, even if he does start to pick up his minutes moving forward this year. I think Rodney Hood has earned that spot, but it will be interesting to see Hoodie's development and when he is ready to and when he is ready to take the floor. Because I do think that Rodney Hood fit in so well as that starting small forward. I know a lot of people talked about him coming off the bench and, and I could get the that case for that. You know, he's a bona fide NBA scorer. He's a walking 20 point, point point per game player. But what he did to transform his game over the summer into one of the most elite catch and shoot three point shooters is exactly what we have been yearning for in Portland for the past five or six years. He is exactly what we have been asking for. So not only is he a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter who doesn't need a lot of usage, but if a team has a smaller lineup out there, look at Denver with Jamal Murray, we can say, Hoodie, you're going to go to work in the post and you're going to cause a mismatch for us and he's going to take advantage. He is exactly what we need at that small forward. I mean, he he is it. It's just unfortunate that, that he got hurt, so we just have to wait for him to come back just as we have to wait for Zach and, and Yusuf Nurkic to come back. So that's kind of the predicament that Portland is in. But if Hoodie is maybe scheduled to come back around Thanksgiving or even Christmas of, of 2020, then I don't think 
Nasir Little would be the worst option because you know he's not going to expect to start and he seems interchangeable in what his game brings to the table as we discussed with that energy and the defense and the rebounding and the hustle that can be translated into the starter or coming off the bench but I think as long as Rodney Hood is in Portland I think he's he's going to be your starter and he's going to be in the finishing five as well he he's just too good of a player and too good of a shooter I mean I Rodney Hood isn't going to be Rodney Hood to start coming off that injury. So I think if Nasir starts, he's going to start for a while and then Hood's going to work himself into shape and trust and, you know, get the stroke back. So I think Nasir Little has a very big role on this team next year and into the future. Like, I, I think Hood's going to be back, hopefully, but like, Yo, Nasir's healthy and he's going to be part of the core. So if the team feels that he's ready, fuck it, start him. And, you know, we're rocking with a with the starting five of Dame, CJ, Nasir, Zach, and Nurk. I could think of worse small forwards than, uh, you know, a lottery pick for, uh, running the small forward. And, you know, if he's struggling for a little while, take him out and then, you know, play him you know for one run in the third you don't need to play him 38 you can just start him i think it it help his his uh development immensely playing with uh all those good players that could see him and uh you know help him achieve what he what we need him to be so did you look at those highlights of uh kevin love like the uh the pass and then the missed help side uh defense and then him smacking the mm-hmm. the bench yeah 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 i've seen it and that shit makes me so happy because you know like in your career of playing basketball you've wanted to do that at least one time in your career just to see someone in the professional in the highest of highs say fuck you and i'm gonna throw it at your ankles hope you can catch this bitch like you know i don't want him on my team but that shit was humorous as hell yeah, I, I don't like that no matter how frustrated you are with, with the situation or with a teammate because ultimately you're wearing an organization on your jersey and you're getting paid to go out there to win games, not to play games in terms of playing mind games or just saying, you know, fuck it, I'm out of here. You know, you're the one that accepted that that contract. You knew damn well that when LeBron left that it was going to basically turn to shit. and I think there's a more professional manner to to approach this as Kevin Love is. He's still getting paid handsomely. He still has won an NBA championship. And he's probably more than likely going to get traded. So for me, I would just say, you know, stick it out. Because you knew what you were signing up for. Now, had he signed up and he knew LeBron was coming back and, you know, whether it was Kyrie or Isaiah Thomas and that, that had worked out. And then the organization kind of pulled the rug out from under them and started trading players left and right. And you're the last man standing. That's a little bit different approach, but that's not the case. So I just think you got to go out there and play basketball. And, you know, you can make your trade request privately and say, hey, just let you know, I would really appreciate uh, a change of scenery, uh, everything I've done for the organization. Uh, I know you're going for more of a youth movement. I'd like one more shot at winning a championship. And I think those types of requests tend to get, I think, 
listened to. I mean, Clyde Drexler is a classic example of that. He put in his time, never publicly demanded a move, but was like, hey, I don't think it's going to happen here. I, I would love to to get one last shot at it. You know, he was 0 for 2 in the finals. And what happened? He went to Houston. They won it as the sixth seed. So I just think there's more professional ways to go about it. Um, at this point in time, I, I think it's almost a certainty that he gets moved um, because in today's NBA, if you kind of, I guess, if you make a big enough scene with social media and, and the media coverage we have now, uh, teams aren't going to want that negative clout, especially for multiple years uh, hovering around the franchise. So he's probably going to get what he wants. So uh, it's a little unfortunate that's the way it's going to work, but that's just kind of the the nature of the the league that we live in right now. I think if you're a special talent, you can do that. But you you saw what Dwayne Dedman did in requesting a trade. It's like, nobody's going to want your ass, man. So if you're an elite talent, you absolutely can do what Kevin Love and Anthony Davis did and you know lower your trade values and try and get to your specific team of choice. But if you're just a ham and egg or center, you can't really do that, can you, Dwayne? I agree, but also I think of the precedent that it's setting for, and I don't mean to sound like too much of an old man get off my lawn here, but the the precedent they're setting, the, the role they're setting for the younger generation and the kids coming up, I it's just not a good look because we're already having Trey Young saying he's upset. Dude, you're in your second year of a rookie deal. The Hawks haven't made the playoffs in like five years. Like you're a rebuilding team. Your best player was out 25 games for um, a suspension. Like I think the level, of, the lack of patience that certain players have is is kind of staggering. And so that's why I appreciate Dame and CJ so much because they are loyal to the soil. They go to bat 100% every single time. And, you know, they, they don't, they don't bitch. They don't moan. They don't cry. They just, they do their job. And I get if it, if it's a bad situation, but again, Kevin Love you have, what, three years left on your deal? You knew what you were signing up for. The Cavs were going to be terrible. Like, I, I, I just, I'm I'm failing to feel sorry for him in, in this situation. So are you, do you have any uh, inkling of what the trade that the Blazers do? Or do we do a trade? Or what are you feeling this week for the, uh, the trade, uh, potential trades for us? Are you thinking of anybody? As I, as I said last week, I still think a deal gets done before February. The schedule really tightens up, so I think we're going to see more losses than wins. Hopefully those glasses come off and the organization realizes this is the realistic state uh, of Rip City and this is the situation that we've been dealt and where we're currently standing in, and it's not good for this year only. So I, I do think they make a move. I think the fact that the Blazers have not signed anyone and really we're still moving our, our two-way contracts up and down with regularity and not keeping either Moses or Jalen up for an extended amount of time kind of speaks volumes that I think the organization realizes where they're at, that it's not going to happen this year. So I do think that they make a move. I'm not certain who it's for. The one thing that can be said about waiting until the deadline is more names become available. But the other thing is the packages from other teams start to 
kind of get crowded and you kind of start the, there's a bidding war that could essentially get going. It doesn't necessarily mean that bidding war gets really intense, but you may have to give up an additional asset or two that you wouldn't have had to had you just made that deal earlier. Or there's a chance you give up too much early and you realize, oh, the market was actually really soft on a certain player. So Neil Olshea is really playing a game of poker right now with 29 other GMs. But I, I still fully expect the team to make a move for next year. I, I think, you know, I did say a few podcasts ago that, you know, Bayes had really been starting to turn it around. But he just kind of seems to hover at his current level of play he doesn't seem to just embrace the role of 3 and D. He's handling the ball a little bit too much. And yes, he's playing out of position and that's not his fault. But, you know, he is a $17 million contract. So I think he's probably the one most likely to go. And again, it really all depends on when, when Yusuf Nurkic is ready to go. Because, you know, Hassan Whiteside is the only player above, I think, 6'8 that we have on the roster right now. So if you move him, you really are punting on you really are punting on the season saying hey this is not happening because i mean god who would be our center it would probably be moses brown yeah i mean you could go really small if you ended up picking up kevin love so it's gonna be interesting but i do think the blazers will make a move i think they have to i think they have to look at this long term and say we like our core but we have a chance to add to that core you're not going to do it in free agency and you can't take expiring contracts with you. Money, it's just like money. When you die, Sage, you can't take it with you. Expiring contract. After this year, after after February, in the after the deadline, it's like you never had it because you you cannot take it with you. You can't roll it over into next year. It doesn't do anything but come off your books. And Jody Allen has already shown her willingness to pay and pay a lot to keep a competitive roster. And I think injuries are kind of masking a lot of things right now in Portland. So we have that card to play for this year, but I would be very frustrated and upset if they didn't make moves to help the team out for next year. Because as we've talked about, it's still going to take Nurk a bit of time to become Nurk. Zach Collins didn't get that third year to get that third year leap. Who knows when Hoodie gets back? And then we haven't seen those five together really ever. So what it, it, they're going to take some time to gel. And that's what made the teams that pass so good was their, their, their chemistry. So if you don't add talent on the bench specifically, because Lord knows we get, we lose that bench matchup every single night. I don't necessarily know if we're much better off next year than we are this year. So we still have to be proactive. We still have to look long-term and we can't just say, Oh, you know, we'll be, we'll be good because we're we're healthy next year. Well, even healthy, there's still a lot of holes, especially uh, on, on the depth of the roster that, that really could be filled by, by trading a lot of our expiring contracts. So would you be cool with uh, Kent Bazemore for a three, three rotation player trade or something like that? I mean, what three rotation players are Kent, is Kent Bazemore bringing you? Like, I like I don't want to trade quality for quantity, if that makes sense. I think if the Blazers, they have their five. Simons is a legitimate sixth man. And I think you could probably count on Gary, Nasir, or Scal. One of those three 
to at least be a rotation player. So you're probably looking for two more rotation players that can really come in and help your bench. Guys like Ennis Cantor, guys even like of the caliber of back when the Blazers were were super deep, like a Jim Jackson or a Stacey Ogman or a Greg Anthony, just specialists that came in, they keep the lead, they, they play their role, and you get consistency. I think consistency is the number one trait you should look for when acquiring a, a role player, and that's just what we haven't had. That should be should be a very interesting uh, trade deadline. Do you imagine a lot of stuff gets done this year, or is it going to be a more tame deadline? You know, that's a really good question because, unfortunately, the Blazers aren't the only team with money coming off of their books. A lot of those deals in that summer of 2016 are are now available and out there and for any team that wants some cap relief. So the Blazers will have competition in, in that regard. But if you look at the standings, I, I still think there are there are at least five teams in the West that think they can get it done this year. You know, you look at the Lakers, Nuggets, Rockets, Clippers, and probably the Jazz. They feel like they can come out of the West. You go East, Milwaukee is running away from it. You know, 32-5, and five, playing at almost a 90% clip, but Boston's right there. Miami is surprising and, and really probably only going to get better with how young they are, and they have just got a fabulous bench. Uh, Toronto is going to be a tough out. I mean, you look at Philly, who is underperforming right now, but nobody's going to want to play the 76ers in the postseason, and the Indiana Pacers, 22-14, and 14, still hanging around, still without Victor Oladipo. So if they're able to work in Oladipo, I mean, that's a team right there that you're not going to want to play either. So there's still 10-11 teams that feel that they have a shot. And as you can see at the bottom half of the West – and in the bottom half of the East, there are a lot of sub-500 teams. So you have a lot of sellers. And you got about a, the third of the teams looking like they're buyers. So I do think it's going to make for a pretty active trade deadline because you've got a couple of teams like the Lakers and Bucks who are playing at a really strong winning percentage clip. But I don't think anybody in the NBA could say right now that any team is a favorite. I mean, we saw last year in the playoffs what happened to Giannis when he went up against a defense like the Toronto Raptors. So it's it's just so wide open still that I, I do believe that we're going to see a lot of movement. What do you think, Bud? I think that that there's a I think there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of moves just because there are teams that are sellers and there are teams that want to take that next step. And uh, we'll be willing to give those sellers something that they want. So I, I, I could see a very, very popping uh, trade deadline this year. I mean, you look at teams who are sub 500, but they still have players that other teams want. Uh, Detroit has Andre Drummond. Cleveland has Kevin Love. We've mentioned Memphis has Andre Iguodala, who hasn't even suited up this year. They have Jay Crowder, who really playing some nice basketball as of late. Minnesota has Robert Covington. Uh, Sacramento has Bogdanovich. Uh, the Pelicans have a slew of players that teams could be interested in, especially veterans like J.J. Redick and Derek Favors. And the Warriors even have players like uh, Glenn Robinson, who has played pretty surprisingly well, and Alec Burke. So veterans that could come in and be your 7th, 8th, ninth man in, in that rotation. Yeah, th- so, those are plug-and-play guys. And then you even have a guy, guys, I should say, in San Antonio, like LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan. 
Like to me, that's going to be the thing I'm going to watch most. Which team in the West is going to get caught flinching? Like who's going to make that first move that says, hey, we're bowing out of the, this eighth seed. Like we do not want it. Like if San Antonio moves Aldridge or DeRozan, you you can tell that they're they're saying, nope, this is not our year. We're going to give up our, I believe it's 22-year playoff streak. Or if Portland moves Hassan. If Phoenix gets aggressive and says, no, we really do want to get Kevin Love. We want that eight seed. We want that experience. Which team in the West is going to make the first move? Whether it's to get out of that eighth seed or move up to that eighth seed. That to me is what I'm going to keep my eye on. So it's basically like, I mean, you even factor in New Orleans once they get Zion Williamson back. So you've got San Antonio, Portland, Phoenix, Memphis, Minnesota, Sacramento, and New Orleans that all could realistically end up in that eighth seed. So which team is going to make that make that move? Exactly. Yeah, shit. It's going to be interesting, man. And I know New Orleans has one of the easiest schedules finishing up. And if they get Zion, it could be interesting. But, man, it's that there's just so much potential for this league and this, this, this these next 40 games to the playoffs. It's going to be it's going to be cool to see what happens. All right, Sage, let's take a quick commercial break from our sponsors. Then we'll answer a couple of fan questions and dive into the upcoming slate of games. For you, the listeners of Holy Backboard, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com forward slash holybackboard. Again, that's getgrammarly.com forward slash holybackboard to download Grammarly for free. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Holy Backboard podcast. Dustin Sage here. Sage, we have a question from Blazers Hoop YT on Twitter. Wants to know, we have two open spots. Who should we sign? Or or should we sign anyone? What what are your thoughts? I think we definitely need to sign a center just because yo, it's such a we just have such a mismatch whenever Hassan comes out. It's like Anthony Tolliver is our only sort of big. So if we get like a Navon Rab or a you know, a, a moose or someone like that just to eat time. I think it'd be beneficial. Uh, and then Wait, who, who was the first player you said? Avon Rab. I think he's a free agent as well. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, maybe having that open roster spot to make trade facilitate trades would be a good move. But yeah, I, I think we definitely need to sign a big. And if it's, you know, you know, uh, a Rab, um, um, Noah, whoever. We just need somebody to take those minutes and give us a legitimate big man because having one, it just doesn't work when some teams have two and three and we only have one. And if he gets foul trouble or whatever, it's just a slippery slope that I don't want to be in. And He doesn't have to be amazing. He just has to be tall. Yeah, I would... I would lean towards not using our, our open roster spots because I, I don't want to make that that eighth seed. 
and also we're able to take more players back in a trade. So you're you're probably going to find a, a more suitable NBA player down the road in a lopsided trade, maybe even as a throw in than probably what's currently out there on the market. And also if by by some miracle Nurk comes back and the team's starting to play well and, and you feel good about possibly being the eighth seed, use that roster spot when the buyout market hits. So you'll be able to really be able to go out and kind of have the pick of the litter on the buyout market. And we saw how beneficial it was when we picked up Ennis Cantor. So I think it's still too early to to play that card. Uh, you wouldn't want to even throw a 10-day contract at someone now that we're eligible to do that? A 10-day probably. But again, if we're not even giving Nasir Little uh, a chance to play, I don't want another guy coming in here that's possibly going to even take away minutes from from him or Gary or anybody because we've already seen that the coaching staff has a has a they're, they're prone to really playing their guys and the core players their minutes aren't going away. So you know we've always heard about players you know dominating in practice, but I want to see it translate to, to the game. So I, I just don't know if we're going to even get if we would even be lucky enough to get a Yogi Ferrell situation. I would just because I hate having one big. All right. Next question from PDX Traffic Cone. Is Myers Leonard the reason Miami is doing so well? Oh, but I, I fuck with you. Um, Bam out of Bayou's the center. I don't know why they put Myers Leonard at the center. He's just a, he's just the four that there was a play today where Dame Lillard uh, defended him in the at the at the three and then followed him into the post and tried to get a rebound and Myers didn't dunk it over him. I'm not really scared. I don't think Myers is the reason they're good. I think it's Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler in that culture. I mean, I, I think a lot of it to me is, is coach Spo. I think he's one of the more underrated coaches almost in NBA history with what he's been able to do he's consistently with all of the changes that Miami has really had to endure. I think they've struck gold on a couple of players that nobody really heard of or knew. When you look at Nunn and and Duncan Robinson, uh, they are pretty strong at drafting. And Tyler Hero looks to be like another sharpshooter coming off the bench. And Adebayo was a steal at where they got him. I believe it was in the 2017 draft. So they've just drafted well, and they, they're really competent. They play really well as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, they share the basketball. They spread the floor. They know their role. I'm interested to see how that team translates to the playoffs when defenses are allowed to get a little bit more aggressive, when games slow down a little bit more, and you're working more in the half court, and it's going to be a lot of these players' first playoff experience. And I still don't trust Jimmy Butler as your alpha to win you a series. So that's going to be interesting. But for the regular season and what they're doing right now, it's to me, they have to be the surprise of the league. They don't have enough bigs to, for like, let's say they're playing the Sixers in this in a playoff series. They don't have enough bigs because it's Bam Adebayo's fam, fantastic. He's fabulous. But then it's Myers, Kelly Olenek and uh, shit. Uh, who's the karate guy? He, he Kar- karate guy. Yeah, uh, the Jack uh, 
James Johnson. He's a black belt. Why do you call him the karate guy? Because he's a black belt. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they don't have they don't have enough bigs for certain matchups, but they're very good and very fun to watch. I mean, fuck, Kendrick Nunn is starting over Goran Dragic, and you saw how good Goran Dragic was today. They they have found some steals, and you know, congrats to their scouting department. They are fantastic. All right, Sage, it's time to move on to the week's slate of games, and I'm happy to announce. I'm not really happy because I predicted a lot of losses this week, but I went three and one. You went two and two. The gap is closing 16 and 21 on the season for me, 21 and 16 on the season for you. So my friend, I am coming for that number one spot, five game difference. I'm about to make up some ground. Let's go. All right. Uh, What's the first game of this week? The Blazers still have two more games on this road trip, and they their next opponent is the defending champion Toronto Raptors. They play them at 4 p.m. Pacific time on Tuesday. This is the second and final meeting with the Raptors. The Blazers lost a, a really tough heart. Ugh. They lost a really tough, closely contested contest back on November 13th. I was in attendance. If everyone remembers that game, that's where Nasir Little got the start. Played Siakam really well. And then Terry Stotts decided to yank him the entire fourth quarter, and Siakam just went nuts on Mario Hazonia, and the game really swelled and got out of Portland's reach. Um, This is also a team that loves to try out new defenses, especially against dominant offensive players. We saw them break out box and one against uh, Steph Curry in the finals. They did something similar to Dame earlier this year, and Nick Nurse is one of the best defensive coaches in the league, and... You know, Dame struggled. He was just 2 of 12 in, in that contest. It was really Rodney Hood who had 25 points that, that kept us afloat. Sage, what did the Blazers have to do to beat the Raptors in Toronto, uh, a, a city that I felt like Portland hasn't won in in the past, like, 10 years? Well, I believe that Spicy P will be out this game. And then uh, they also have uh, uh, Marcus Gasol's out. Uh, Norm Powell's out, so they're they're, li- they're they're missing quite a bit of beef up front. That you know they're still a good defensive team. They were a great defensive team with Gasol and Siakam, but you can definitely attack them in the paint. And then their guards play extraordinarily long minutes. Um, there's Kyle Lowry's the league leader. Yeah, in man. Minutes per game. Oh yeah, and then Fred Van Fleet gets about thirty six. So. It, they play their guys long minutes, and they play hard. Um, OG Ananobe has been ro- rotating in and out of the rotation. So um, old man uh, Serge Ibaka has been he's absolutely essentially their killing. center right now. Yeah, he, he's been killing it though. Um, he's he's at like this year he's had like a twenty seven usage rate off the bench. He's been really good in that, that in that uh, that that spot. Uh, playing with Gasol and without, so he's like their real center. And then uh, your boy Chris Bouchard is getting some nice Boucher. Boucher damn it, uh, Bobby Waterboy, baby, Bobby Boucher, shit. And uh, yeah, I mean, like they got guys and they play hard and they play log lots of lots of minutes. So what we have to do uh, offensively is rebound, rebound, rebound. They are not a good 
uh, defensive rebounding team. They allow a lot of rebounds, so Hassan really has to establish dominance down there. They force turnovers. They they don't foul. They make you take bad shots, but they aren't a good rebounding team because of the lack of bigs. So I think Hassan has to have a very good game against this team. Uh, but unfortunately, I think the Toronto Raptors might be a little too much for the Blazers to handle, and uh, I think we take this loss. For me, my X factor is going to be Carmelo Anthony because of how small the Raptors are. So you've got Ibaka that he's going to have to defend Whiteside. Even if they bring in Boucher, he is a thin big. He would be defending Whiteside. So that means that they're either going to be throwing Patrick McCaw or OG at Melo. And we saw Melo get a lot of post touches tonight in Miami. I think it is the direct backup at four. And I, I really like Melo's girth essentially he's to a go big, down he's, low he's a and, big man he's a big man he can stop the game get to the free throw line i think portland if they're going to win this game they need to muck it up like it really needs to kind of be an ugly contest they're not winning any shootouts i mean let, let's let's be clear there that's not really how they're they're tailored to win games right now especially given their lack of depth we need to limit possessions rebound the basketball but like you mentioned, I the Raptors are just too good at home. They're 14 and 5 on the year. We don't know if CJ is going to play. He had a respiratory issue. He's been feeling under the weather. And, and frankly, they're a plus 500 team. We've only beaten two plus 500 teams this year. I'm going to go Toronto. And the next game on the the road trip, actually the final game on the road trip is January 9th against the Minnesota Timberwolves. So, Sage, tell us a little bit about the Wolves. So, uh, thank you for asking. I, I, when I looked at this stat, I was flabbergasted. So, with the uh, with Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins in, they're one of the better offensive teams, but one of the dirt worst defensive. But with them out, they are a top five defensive team in the league. And... Uh, Man, when you replace Carl Anthony Towns with uh, Gorgie Dang, um, you know, you limit a lot of what you can do offensively, but he is a very competent big defensively. So I think it's going to be tougher for us to score points and with how awful our perimeter defense is, you know, those 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 uh, Minnesota wings are going to do whatever they want. And uh, your boy Shabazz Napier is, be- is the starter over Jeff Teague right now. Um, yeah, they're starting uh, Napier and rookie Jarrett Culver right now against the Cavaliers. Uh, Wiggins was day-to-day, but he's playing. Towns is day-to-day, did not play tonight. So this game is Thursday. I would expect Towns to play. Uh, there are rumors that he's unhappy in Minnesota. Sage, do you think he gets moved to the deadline, or do you think that's something that's going to take a, that needs more time to fester before they actually decide to move him? I think he's legitimately hurt, and I'll tell you why. He does he he really doesn't miss games and this is the first time in his entire career where he's missing a lot of games so I think he's legitimately hurt. I would expect Andrew Wiggins to play and if he does CJ does a very good job against the old Andrew Wiggins but this new Wiggins uh with more uh, responsibility for the pass is a brand new guy like you know I complained about his game because he was so athletic and doesn't do peripheral stats. 
he's doing peripheral stats and is being more efficient offensively. So if I had to guess, Wiggins is in, Cat's out. Um, I I don't w- trust Wiggins. Him. W- Wiggins had thirty three on only twenty four attempts last last outing. Again, Portland won again without Carl Anthony Towns in Portland though one thirteen to one oh six. Yeah, I, I mean Wiggins is Wiggins is doing a really good job this year, man. And you know I clowned him a lot, but he's really he's really upped his game. I would predict that we lose the game because they're the Timberwolves are clamping. So, and with how we play defense, they're gonna score. And if they can clamp us and score whenever they want, it's gonna be a long day for us. Yeah, I'm gonna go Blazers loss as well, only because we have seen this matchup before. We had the advantage in Portland, and it still was too close for comfort. You flip the script, it's the last game of a five-game road trip. Hasn't treated the Blazers too terribly well. You're going to cold Minnesota. It just feels like it could be a game where the Blazers are lacking energy. If I'm looking for someone to really light a fuse under the Portland Trailblazers, I I would look at a guy like, like Anthony Simons, who had three spectacular dunks tonight in Miami, kind of starting to get his groove back, and really we do need him to, to get his groove back. So if Portland does win, I think you're going to see a three-guard lineup of Simons, Dame, and, and CJ. I would expect CJ to be back by this time and and really just attack them. And this is a game where you might be able to win in a shootout just because you probably have more offensive horses than, than the Minnesota Timberwolves. But... Just with the way the Blazers are playing, given the the nature of the road trip and the games leading up to this one, I think that might be too much for for this team to overcome at this point, especially without a guy like like Scalabissier, who who gave you 26 minutes last time you played these teams and had 11 and 8 with with two blocks and two assists. So that's gone. You're, you're not getting that production back. So. Aya Portland losing that one. And Sage, they always say the first game after a long road trip is essentially a road game. And it couldn't come against a more difficult opponent. <laughs> the best defensive team and a team that, you know, rests their starters in the fourth quarter. Then the Milwaukee Bucks, who, as I mentioned, 32-5. and five. They are 14-3 and three away from Milwaukee. They have won five straight games, eight of two of their last ten. They have the reigning MVP and Giannis. Sage, tell us something about the Bucks. They are a really, really, really good defense. They're first in points per possession, first in percentage. They don't force turnovers, which is good. They are very good rebounding, and they don't foul. The one way I can see us winning is if we become a, if it becomes a shootout, and. The Bucks aren't the best at defending three-pointers. It's been a thing for them for a while. Their defense funnels all pressure into the middle to Giannis, so they sometimes leave shooters wide open. I think that is the way the Blazers could win is if they get hot from three. Because they aren't getting it. Points in the middle is a very rare thing for this Bucks team to give up. So it's, it's going to be so, a primordial. So Milwaukee has an upcoming four game Western conference road trip. The Blazers are the final game of of that stretch. It is the second night of a back-to-back. They will be in Sacramento the night before. So Portland 
I wouldn't say has a schedule advantage, but I think it makes at least a schedule push because we are it's coming neutral. off of our own. Exactly. Our own five game road trip. And the Blazers did play the Bucks fairly well in Milwaukee. It was one of Carmelo Anthony's first games. Uh, we did lose 137 to 129. But again, the cast of characters has changed significantly for the Blazers. Scalabissier had 22 and 12 with five blocks. He is no longer there. Rodney Hood had 11 points, 5 of 5 from the field. He is no longer there. And Chris Middleton, who wasn't playing, is now back in the Milwaukee lineup. Sage, I just think Milwaukee is on a completely different level than, than the Blazers. I do think we will be up for this game. I think it will be close. But they, they've just got too many horses. I, I don't know what we do. I, I think we probably could put up 129 again. But we probably are likely to give up 140 again yeah. as well. I mean, I mean, if we're going by percentages, Giannis isn't going to be in the game in the fourth quarter. They just blow out teams at such a fast clip because of how efficient they are. I mean, like, how are we stopping Giannis, man? Dude is a tank. And we, I mean, if we put Hassan on him, Brooke Lopez is getting threes. Brooke Lopez draws Hassan out, who's getting rebounds. I'm going to this game. I don't expect to win, so I'm going Minnesota. Vic- I mean, uh, Milwaukee victory. And you mentioned Brooke Lopez in that game earlier in Milwaukee. Portland, I think, cut it to two or three point game, and then Lopez hits two threes in a row, and the Wesley Matthews hits another three. So their ability to stretch the floor and shoot at a high clip from downtown really adds another layer to defending this team, which is already difficult enough given their their current personnel. So it, I think it's just asking too much for, for the Blazers on this one. So, yeah, I, I've got a loss as well. It you looks ain't like getting, we, any, getting any room on me, sir. That's all right. <laughs> all right. Um, we are available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, Nothing But Net Radio, Tuesdays 2 to 3. Um, shout out to Rip Twitty. Shout out to everybody who's watching this team now, even though it's kind of depressing. We love you, and we will be back next week. You may be. This is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go!